Hi everyone, I'm Liam Samuel from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Martin Slater, Directory of Discovery at Crescent. Dr. Slater recently joined us for a webinar where he discusses common challenges in molecule design and how they can be overcome with computational chemistry methods. Let's get right into it. Could one also outsource medicinal chemistry to Crescent in addition to computational chemists? And if not, how do both MedChem FTEs in-house or outsourced to another CRO efficiently collaborate with the computational chemists at Crescent? That's a, that's a good question. So we mainly focus on in silico part of the, the process. As I said, in the case study example, we do and we have worked with a number of different CROs that are offering the chemistry part of that process. Drug discovery, as I said in, in the first couple of slides, it's got biology, chemistry, computational chemistry, admet at the, at the back end and before, before you go into the sort of clinical, the early clinical trials of molecules. Um, we focus on the in silico part. We do have preferred partners for chemistry. So people that we, we worked with and, and are happy with and happy to work with. But we, we don't do any of the chemistry our, ourselves. All right, next question here. Do you think your services are seen as being competitive with internal computational chemistry teams? Yes, it's a good question. Um, you would think so. Um, however, just from experience uh, working with um, big pharma companies and even small companies, we still work with computational chemistry groups in other organizations. Quite often, there may be a lone computational chemist in a small biotech organization. So, you know, one, one person. I think that that's the situation where it's about capacity to, to do the amount of work that require, is required to be done by these small organizations. But also, we have the heavy lifting capability that, you know, a lone, a lone computational chemist in an organization wouldn't have. Uh, so that, that's, that's a benefit. Um, in the bigger organizations where you have a computational chemist, you know, or a group of computational chemists, again, it's about either providing backup for those chemists, those groups charged with trying to tackle a, a large number of, of projects, or again, it's maybe some of the heavy lifting that they, they either don't have or have degraded capacity to do. What one of the things that we're doing, we do a lot of is uh, virtual screening. Ligand-centric virtual screening requires you know, a lot of computation. If you don't have that, uh, a large maintained cluster of IT support around that, it's quite difficult and expensive to do that if you're not doing a lot of it. So, you know, that, that's, that's one way in which where it's used by the big pharma companies that already have computational chemists or computational chemistry groups. I think we can complement pharma uh, and organize, organizations that, that have computational chemistry and provide, you know, an, an additional uh, opinion. We have a team that's the size of a big pharma company's computational chemistry team now, so we have got that bandwidth and the expertise within it. 
We also have the advantage of working with a lot of different companies and, and getting exposure to a lot of different uh, challenging targets. So, um, you know, we, we can help uh, come up with ideas that maybe the, the big pharma guys just don't have time to, to think about. Yeah, that's a really good so, point. <laughs> yeah. All right. So good question here. How exactly are the results and the deliverables shared between you and the customer? Uh, I think you mentioned uh, SharePoint a bit before, but can you uh, clarify a bit about that? Yeah. So, so as we as we work with clients, we write a fairly detailed proposal that outlines what the plan is. Part of that plan is what the deliverables are. So the deliverables might be presentation material, there might be protein structure files, uh, chemistry structure files, or SD files. You don't want to be sending those by email, as, as I said, because for two reasons, one is capacity of email, and, and also you don't want any of that material to get in, intercepted. So we, we use sharing ports. Some of our clients use things like Box or, or Ignite is very popular for US clients. Um, we also use SharePoint, or we have in the past. So that's a secure way, way of sharing either documents, so Word documents, presentations, but also the results files, so protein uh, structure files, uh, ligand structure files. And, and it's up there in a secure way, and then the clients can get access to that um, and upload material for us to have a look at as well. So it's a, it's a two-way way sharing. So that, that's one way of sharing information. We also share information by live demo. So if we, if we do a project, then we, we may describe the output of that project, not just by, you know, a bundle of files for them to, to, to have a look at and try and work out what's going on. We'll present the results in a presentation format, but also in a, a live modeling session where the client can, can see the 3D modeling from our, our software or, and interact. So that, that, that's, that's one thing we do very, very regularly, regularly is have interactive meetings with, with our clients uh, at discrete intervals. Another way, and again, I already described this, is the, the talks platform. Uh, it's a very innovative way of, of sharing information that can be done to demonstrate live modeling. Uh, and that's, that's two-way. So the client can basically rotate the molecules in the context of a protein and say, oh, okay, I, I see what you mean about how that molecule maybe doesn't fit or, or what the interactions are. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we, can, we can drive that and we can let the client drive that. Uh, that's, that's a really fantastic way of sharing information. Again, very, very efficient rather than writing down, you know, reports and building presentation material, you can actually get right into the nitty gritty of uh, of the project computational chemistry the, the molecular interactions through that that platform so that that's really good yeah that neat that's neat that that sounds like a really interesting way to to share your results and i think it it leads in nicely to a next question here how do you deal with customers who don't understand the results that you give them that's a, a fantastic question <laughs> and um, what we need to do and always bear bear in mind is when we're building a work plan is to really listen to our customers and understand what it is they actually want, what they need to solve their problem. And there is a temptation to just, you know, bombard clients with, with information. But actually, if that information isn't something that they can use, then, then we, we need to rethink and adapt 
the deliverables so that they fit with what the client's expectation is. So, you know, we, we, we try and avoid that situation by listening carefully to our clients right at the beginning of the process. We also, as I said, we don't just hand over a bundle. We present material. Uh, we're also happy to take, you know, multiple sessions if something's not clear. Um, communication channels are open both ways. So via email or telephone, we have project management. So uh, the project manager will will be responsible for interacting with the client and making sure they understand things, understand you know the logistics of what we're doing. We also have account account management. So the whole process of setting up the contract in the first place, again, making sure that we're tailoring what we're doing to to what what the client needs and wants. I guess finally, it's been difficult over the last two years, but face to face meetings are also very, very important. So if you get the client in front of us with our computer, you know, we can make, you know, the best endeavors to explain the modeling. At the end of the day, we may be speaking to biologists or chemists. They're probably not modelers, which is why they've, they've asked us to do things for them. So we, we need to explain material in those terms to our customers. And there's no point in giving material that they're not going to be able to use unless they, they they will then either employ a computational chemist at some point or modeler or, or employ someone else. We need to give them transferable information as well. So, you know, files, all the files that we generate during a project belong to the customer. So we do give them all that material as well. Fantastic. Great answer. Good points. Shifting gears a little bit, uh, what biological target classes and therapeutic areas do you support at Crescent? Ah, that's a that's an interesting question. The better question is is which area don't we support? I would say there isn't really one. So we, we can pretty much do anything, you know, whether that's biologics, modeling, protein modeling, small molecule modeling, obviously we, we cover that. In in terms of therapeutic areas, there isn't a limit. We've worked on, on various things from eye diseases. Uh, I mentioned antifungals, uh, bacterial anti-infectives, we've done antivirals, you name it, enzymes, uh, receptors, transporters, anything. I guess the, the, thing, the thing to say is, is that the, the devil is always in the detail. What, what limits what you can do in most cases is the level of information that you have at your disposal. There is a range of information that, you know, launch drugs. If you look at a launch drug around those launch drugs, there's a, there's a, a trail of crystal structures and, and small molecules and SAR. When you're dealing with brand new targets, you know, there might be one crystal structure or there might be just a sequence. There may be no ligands. There might be maybe a substrate. What we do is, is we, we will look the data stream for uh, whatever the target of interest is. Uh, and basically we, we can advise on strategic ways forwards. And if that, if that way forwards is there's just no way you can do anything with this, that just you don't have enough information, then, you know, we, we will go back to the client and say that we will, we won't try and um, say we can do something that won't actually help them solve the problem at the end of the day. So, you know, some, some targets are just too challenging and there is not enough information. That can be the end of the road for, for some projects. Actually, it's more efficient to be able to say, you know, this is really not a goer. 
and maybe you know you've got some other projects hopefully you're not a biotech that's just got one platform maybe there's a portfolio of, of projects and we can triage you know there will be one project there that you can do something with but you know there's no therapeutic areas i think that are off off limits and no targets it's whether or not there's sufficient information to support a project Yes, it's great to know that you have the flexibility. And I feel like that's also extremely important knowledge, knowing exactly what targets are worth it to go for and which aren't, because you could spend a lot of money searching for something that you just can't hope to find. So yeah, yeah. that's a really good point. All right, next question here, Martin, what business models can you offer if I would like to enter in a, into a collaboration with you? The main way that we interact with clients is a very straightforward and clean one. We mainly do fees for service. So the way that that works and the reason it's very, very clean is we just want to get paid for the work that we're doing. We don't want to hold any IP. We don't want to get any sort of stake in someone else's science. We just want to, you know, do, do the work. Um, and that, that is the ideal scenario for outsourcing. I think. When clients outsource, they, they don't want to give, give away their, their hard won biology and targets, you know, because we can help them find something. So that, that's the way that we normally work. In that, there are two different ways of working. One is, so a very, very target or, or task oriented project where it's a linear relationship. And then there are others where you can just buy blocks of time from the modelers. Um, so we're flexible in, in how you deploy that fees-for-service work. But that's, that, that's the main model that we use. Excellent. So who from, your, uh, from a client organization do you typically work with? Uh, that's, that's a range of people. So we've been contacted by biologists or heads of medicinal chemistry. Essentially, they, they will be the pro project leads looking for uh, an innovative solution to solve the problem that, that they have. So, you know, ma mainly heads of chemistry, heads, heads of biology, uh, sometimes heads of, heads of innovation. Again, usually we're, we're working with a, a team of people. So the, the initial contact might be that person. But, you know, we, we talk to the, the biologists on projects, the chemists, on projects, maybe crystallographers. Um, so, you know, we, we can interact with any, any members of a, of a team charged with doing a drug discovery project and work through the problem collaboratively. Excellent. So, uh, I'm hearing that it sounds like you sort of, in a way, become an extension of their team, a super specialized extension of their team to help them accomplish this, this goal. Yes, essentially. Yeah. So. Next question here. What is the most requested type of product that you work on in Crescent Discovery? I guess the most requested thing is probably um, in the hit finding part of the drug discovery process. So probably the virtual screening type activities. I guess a close second is probably SAR analysis and QSAR um, development lead optimization parts of the process. But, yeah. Follow-up question. Uh, what services do you offer in the area of uh, fragment drug discovery? So we've got some excellent tools uh, in, in fragment discovery. Um, the main software tool 
that Crisset produce. Uh, it was a really excellent tool called Spark, which is a bioisosteric fragment replacement tool. Again, as I mentioned with, I think it was the third case study, because the, the technology is a physics-based technology, it's not limited to how big the molecule is. So we can get really nice, very accurate information on really quite small, small molecule, small molecules or small fragments. We can describe those using the electrostatics and shape. As I've said, the tool uses that similarity metric. We have uh, comparing molecules with each other using basically the patterns of electrostatic, uh, the electrostatic patterns around a molecule to compare them. It's a very, very nice way of finding new fragments. The tool is really good, allowing you to either do fragment growing, fragment joining or hybridization. Um, so that in conjunction with another tool called uh, electrostatic complementarity, which is a, a way of getting a metric on how well that, that fragment is fitting electrostatically into a protein pocket. Those two things together are a really nice tool set for exploring fragment discovery. And I, and I guess fragment discovery can either be, you know, you find, you find fragments that bind to a protein pocket via NMR or via crystallography. The challenge is then how do you get from there to, you know, a drug sized molecule without losing that initial advantage of the, the binding of a really small, efficient molecule. So we can do that process. Uh, and help fragment discovery with those really cool tools. You need more than tools as well. We've got the expertise to be able to understand and interpret the information from the, the fragment replacement algorithms and the electrostatic complementarity measurements in the context of protein pockets. It's a double whammy of excellent software and an expertise that allows that to, uh, to work for fragment discovery. Yeah, great answer. So this sort of goes back to what you were talking about, about which compounds were practical or not. How do you consider the synthetic feasibility of a compound during the design phase? That's a really challenging one. There are not many in silico methods that can give you good answers on that. We have, fortunately, both modelers and medicinal chemists on the team. So I'm, a, I'm an ex medicinal chemist, my dim and distant past, so I can recognize when you've got a bad idea that, that's just never going to make it. You, you're not going to be able to synthesize it or you're not going to be able to, uh, it's not going to be stable or it's not going to work in, in, the, in a binding environment. So, you know, we can use the benefit of that experience to say, well, that's, that's a rubbish idea. I'm going to throw that away and come up with a better idea. So it can be ad hoc and, and there is no substitute for, again, expertise and experience we do have some metrics within the tools for finding things that are more likely to be synthesizable. So the Spark case I just spoke about, there, there is a proxy for synthesizability, which is frequency of occurrence of that fragment in databases. So if you've got a high frequency of occurrence, it's likely that that's not a very hard fragment to put together. So th those, are, those are some metrics, computational metrics that you can use to help synthetic accessibility, but mostly it's it's just, you've got to use your brain and apply that to the scenario. Yeah, great point. Martin, can you do virtual screening? Yes, <laughs> yeah. we, we can do, um, two, there's two flavors of virtual screening. One is ligand centric, which is you're looking for things that are similar to each other. 
We also do docking as well. So you can look at, you know, what fits a protein or not. So those, those two flavors of virtual screening, we, we do probably the market leader in, uh, in the in silico method. There are other docking algorithms out there, people that do that. But again, it's always good to have expertise alongside a method. So that, that's one of the, again, one of the benefits of you do virtual screening. The interpretation of the output and, you know, what you want to actually go and buy is the main thing. So the triaging on virtual screen is probably a more important step. Second to the actual process in the first place, what you decided to set as your virtual screening strategy can have a bearing on whether you're successful or not with the output. Yeah, fantastic. So we are interested in doing FEP calculations. Is this something that you can help with? Yes. <laughs> yes. We've got an FEP method. We can offer FEP from within the discovery part of Cresset. It's also something that you can buy as a software item as well. This is something that's got, a, there's a huge amount of interest in it. Um, we're actively developing those methods and that capability. It, it's already good. We're trying to make it better. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.